You're listening to In It Together, the podcast. I'm Arun Roth. Today is October 28th, 2020. Coming up, I'll speak once again with State Senator Eric Lesser. Lesser represents portions of Western Massachusetts. We'll hear his thoughts on the Baker administration putting pressure on schools in his district to bring students back into the classroom. But we start, as always, with the latest numbers, which continue some bad trends. Today being the fifth day in a row, the State Department of Public Health reported over 1,000 new cases of the virus, 1,137 to be precise. The DPH also reported 36 more deaths. This brings a total number of cases statewide to over 150,000 and the total number of deaths to exactly 9,700. Meantime, 582 people are currently hospitalized because of COVID, and four hospitals are operating at surge capacity. The state's positive test rate stands at 1.7%. Joining me now is State Senator Eric Lesser, whose district includes communities in western Massachusetts. Senator Lesser, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Arun. Good to hear from you. So it's been uh, it's been a few months since we last had you on, on the show, and that you know, in pandemic time is is quite a bit of time. Uh, how, how are you doing right now? Uh, everything is good. You know, like everyone, we're trying to adjust to the new normal. Uh, you know, kids, certainly it's a tough time to be a, to be a young family. But, uh, you know, I can't complain. Personally, we're good. We're healthy. Family's healthy. So, you know, just trying to focus on our job and, the, you know, quite a lot happening. That's for sure. Yeah. The last time that you were on the show, we were talking about free testing. The Baker administration had set up free coronavirus testing in a dozen or so communities with high infection rates. But none of the communities in that original group were in the western half of the state. It has access to, uh, to testing, I have to imagine, I'm hoping it's, it's improved since the last time we spoke. Yeah. So first, I owe you a thanks, Arun, because uh, shortly after you know your piece aired, uh, we did see quite a quite an expedited movement, we'll say, from DPH and from the governor's team in terms of getting those free testing sites up and running. Uh, I will point out that there still remain very significant gaps. Uh, there has been improvements, no doubt, in the last several months since we first talked, but we still have large populations of people that are not able to get tests at all. Uh, and even the tests that are available, the wait times are still very long, uh, in some cases, as many as four or five, even six or seven days to get the results back. And, you know, especially as we talk about now, you know, schools open, workplaces opening, you know, things uh, in a more active posture than they were several months ago. It's that turnaround time that's really very key in terms of stopping those clusters uh, before they turn into full-fledged outbreaks. And I would point out also, you know, that we have a disproportionate spread now happening in Western Mass and a large number of communities that are in the red, large number of communities in my own Senate district in the red, and the number, unfortunately, is going in the wrong direction. And this is all, of course, happening in, in the context of uh, fall school. And um, about a month ago, the state's Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, uh, DESE, sent letters to roughly 16 school districts who were choosing to start remotely, even though they were they were deemed low risk by the state. East Longmeadow got a letter. And, and do I understand this correctly? It's now being audited? Yes. So this is, I think, a concerning issue, uh, you know, regardless of what people's opinion might be on whether or not schools should be open right now. Uh, and that is obviously a charged topic. And there's a lot of opinions across the board on that. 
there needs to be a fair process in terms of how the state engages with districts and how decisions are made about whether or not districts are opening or not. And unfortunately, you know, what's happened with the State Department of Education is a set of guidelines were sent out to all communities over the summer. Communities working with their local school committees, their superintendents, their local residents made decisions the state might agree or disagree with those decisions, but they were made based off guidance that was given to them at the time. And then those plans were approved by the State Department of Education. Uh, and now, you know, weeks later, uh, in some cases, well over a month or months later, the Department of Education is basically going back to them and saying that the plans that they approved, they no longer approve and they need to suddenly change. And I would just point out, this is creating immense stress uh, not only for the districts themselves, for the teachers, for the administrators, but most importantly for families and for parents and for kids who are, you know, frankly, in some respects being bullied uh, about what the state thinks is the best uh, way for them to begin to transition back. In a situation like this, what what does an audit mean? Because you just described all the processes that you went through to to get to the decisions where, where you are? I mean, did, did they just walk through all those decisions and scrutinize them? I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to understand how that would work even. I, I think that's a really good question, Arun, and that's part of the problem. You know, I think first, for people to appreciate, these districts are often very small. You know, there's one high school, maybe one middle school or two middle schools, maybe a few elementary schools. The central administrative staff is very limited. I'd point out that the schools already at baseline are under immense strain right now, handling the remote issues, handling all of the questions and all of the stresses that have come with providing education in this type of an environment. And frankly, the audit letters are, are very unclear. Uh, they're very vague. Uh, they give the commissioner of education pretty broad powers. Uh, to look into what district is doing, what the community is doing. And frankly, the, the law giving them that power was written with, with other issues in mind, not with COVID-19 in mind. And you know, I'll just give you an example of the inconsistency here. Uh, East Long Meadow got a letter uh, from the Department of Education saying that their community was in a low risk category for spread. They were at the time in the green category under the new color coded system. In the time since they sent the audit letter and, and now, which was only a few weeks, the community is now in the red. So the metrics that the state themselves uh, and that the, um, you know, that Beacon Hill itself is using uh, to measure the safety of or the rate of spread in various communities is changing by the day, yet they're asking districts to make you know, long-term decisions about opening or reopening based on data that's constantly changing. You know, they're, they're giving people the runaround uh, and they're giving people inconsistent guidance. And it's, I think, making an already very stressful situation even harder. So places that, that have subsequently gone into the red, they're, they're still going to do the audit in those cases. Well, so they've they've pulled back a little bit on the audit demand. They're they're loosening the requirements, or that's what we've been told by the Department of Education. I think it's interesting to point out that I believe yesterday at a press conference with the governor, the state uh, education commissioner said that for communities in the red, they're still going to move to reopen schools if it's shown that the transmission is not happening in the schools. 
So again, that that's inconsistent with the information that had been given out even just a few weeks ago about how communities should approach, you know, this color coded system. It's creating a lot of confusion. And I point out as well that, you know, people might have uh, agreements or disagreements about whether or not kids should be in school right now. Uh, but what people do need and what parents and what families need is they need some level of stability, no matter what the decision is, because they need to plan. So in East Long Meadow, for example, a decision was made over the summer that they were going to be remote until December. Now, people might agree or disagree with that decision, but the decision was made. It was made in a transparent way. The school committee voted after a public comment and input process, and parents made significant adjustments to their lives to accommodate that change, including childcare, including working with family members on childcare, everything else that you have to do to manage a family and manage that decision. To now throw that into flux and uh, uncertainty is creating a lot of stress for people, and it's being done in a very top-down way from Boston rather than being uh, organically uh, developed through the community. You know, frankly, if the Department of Education took a little bit of a different approach and said, look, we want to work with you, we want to work with the communities to help get schools open safely, what resources do you need, what PPE do you need, what uh, other supports do you need to make it work, I think that they would have a very different response. And, you know, frankly, Arun, I'm, I personally am someone that is is more in the direction of getting the schools open. I think we've seen the, uh, you know, just the, the other health impacts of schools being closed, especially for special education students, for uh, students with other special needs, uh, students who, um, you know, need language supports and other help. This has really been devastating for them. It's hard to overstate the impact for, for many families on, on these decisions. But the school districts need partnership with the state government, not top-down instructions that may or may not fit their unique needs on the ground. Do you think the the system of of ranking communities the way the state does based on individual levels of of risk does does that make sense given all everything that you've you've laid out? Uh, frankly, I think it's problematic. Uh, I think it sows confusion. Dare I say it can even sow panic? Uh, and you know, I can just tell you from the experience. I represent nine communities, very diverse. Uh, I have some of the most urban parts of the state, most densely populated. Some of the most rural. I have industrial areas, um, agricultural areas, heavily residential, suburban areas, everything in between. Uh, so I think I get a snapshot of this just seeing in my own communities in Western Mass how this is playing out. And I can tell you, uh, you know, there were times when a community was green, then it moved to red, then it moved back to green. At one point, you know, five of my nine communities were red. Uh, and then they were moved to green. Uh, there are different factors. For example, if there's a nursing home or a congregant care facility located in a small town, that could skew the numbers because the town's overall overall population, you know, is lower, uh, and a greater share of the town is that congregant care facility or that nursing facility. That that distorts the sense of spread. For example, in the broader town. The other piece of it I would point out is. The, the boundaries are somewhat arbitrary. Uh, I represent a lot of small towns that are all right next to each other. One town is red and the town right next to it that you could literally walk across the border to or throw a baseball from one town to the other 
is is red, uh, while the other one next to it is green. You know that doesn't take into account commuting. It doesn't take. So I think it can both create confusion and create a false sense of safety for people in the green communities, and uh, and maybe a, an overly, uh, you know, a sense of alarm uh, in communities that are red. I, I think a, a broader approach, maybe a more regional approach, is appropriate. I understand you spoke with Desi Commissioner Jeff Riley and other senators today about this. Do you do you um, do you feel confident, or, or do you have are you optimistic that we can get back on the same page, or at least maybe the the same book? Trying to sorry to strain the analogy. Uh, I'm hopeful. Uh, you know, he certainly heard us out, uh, and you know, I, and there was a, a pretty broad array of legislators on the call uh, from a whole different, a whole host of different communities all around the state. Uh, they acknowledged that the audit approach was probably too aggressive, uh, and and did commit to us to work with the districts. Uh, but you know, we'll we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, I'm I'm cautious about taking their word for it. You know, th- this is a uh, this is an issue that is obviously very high stakes. We need to keep families safe. We need to keep kids safe in both directions. Uh, there's certainly risks to bringing students into a school building in the in the midst of a of a pandemic, especially as the numbers are going up. But there's also very clear uh, and very severe risks and damage, real damage that's happening by keeping students at home. So, you know, I do think we all share the same goal, which is doing right by our children, doing right by our families, getting them the best education possible in the safest way possible in the midst of, you know, a once in a century challenge. Uh, But, you know, my hope is, is that the governor's team and that the Department of Education approaches this more as a sense of partnership with communities and not as a a set of top-down instructions and shooting audit letters off, you know, and, and threatening inspections and very aggressive tactics with communities that by any measure are doing the, the best that they can under hard circumstances does not feel like the right approach to me. Senator, well, time flies in a pandemic. We're going to have to uh, get you back on before too long. Again, Senator Lesser, it's been really good speaking with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Arun. That's State Senator Eric Lesser, whose district includes communities in western Massachusetts. Thanks for listening to In It Together, the podcast from GBH News in Boston. You can listen to the full show live Monday through Thursday on 89.7 FM if you're in the Boston area, or you can stream online at our website, wgbhnews.org. You can listen to full episodes there as well. Our show is produced by Amanda Beeland and Matt Baskin. Our technical director is Bill Piacitelli. All music written and produced by Elio DeLuca. See you tomorrow, and remember, we're all in it together.